The National Cherry Festival is a week-long event that, in 2019, will take place June 29th through July 6th in Traverse City, Michigan. Traverse City is located in northwest Michigan, at the base of the Leelanau Peninsula. For reference, Traverse City isn't anywhere close to Detroit. If you consult the back of your left hand as a map of Michigan, Detroit is near the base of the thumb, and Traverse City is the nail of your ring finger or thereabouts. The National Cherry Festival began back in 1925. This part of Michigan is one of the world's largest suppliers of cherries, which thrive in the northwestern Michigan climate. At least, they do during the summer months. The Cherry Festival attracts more than half a million visitors to the area, which balloons the population by a significant margin. The entirety of the Traverse City area has a population of less than 150,000, so the population closes in on half a million people during the week of the festival. It also happens that the National Cherry Festival tends to overlap with the 4th of July holiday. This is one of the biggest travel weeks of the year in Michigan, as many of the larger automakers shut down the first two weeks of July for retooling, giving line workers and others in the business one or two weeks off from work. For decades, the National Cherry Festival is what Traverse City is best known for. It's what originally put Traverse City on the map and attracted young couples looking for a place to raise a family, as well as luring retirees to the area with its beauty, beaches, wineries, and many golf courses. However, over the past few years, there has been a dark topic of discussion undercutting the festival every July. Residents of Traverse City were shocked when one of their own was killed at the tail end of the 2013 festival, just hours after 4th of July events lit up the skyline. This incident, which occurred in the middle of Traverse City, left the community asking if they have a killer living in their midst. Traverse City isn't all tourism, beaches, and stone fruit. It was also the site of a terrible incident which led to the death of a native. Come with me to the summer of 2013, when Kelly Boyce Hurlbert met a tragic end. Kelly Ann Boyce was born January 30, 1984. She was the second daughter to her parents, Steve and Michelle. She had an older sister, Nicole, and would be followed by two brothers, Craig and Scott. Nicknamed Kelbell by her family, Kelly was native to northern Michigan. She graduated from Benzie Central High School in 2003, where she'd played both soccer and softball. Kelly was described as being very understanding and kind with people she knew. Kelly described herself in a quote on her Facebook page. I don't judge others. I say, if you feel good with what you're doing, let your freak flag fly. I'm a ridiculous human being with a sunny disposition. Kelly also had a positive personality that was infectious. Her older sister, Nicole, described her as, quote, fun, happy-go-lucky, and live life to the fullest. Kelly Boyce would meet her future husband, Paul Hurlbert, at a bar named Union Street Station in 2008. The two, introduced by mutual friends, hit it off right away. And shortly after this chance encounter, they started dating. Within four years, they were engaged. And on July 15, 2012, they married. 
Kelly loved her husband, Paul, who she and many others nicknamed Polly, and Paul would become a pilot in the time they were together. Kelly was also in the process of legally changing her name to Kelly Boyce Hurlbert, but she'd been using the conjoined name for months. The pair lived an interesting life. Paul worked as a pilot and a flight instructor, but also spent his downtime as a photographer and playing in a band. Kelly, meanwhile, was working toward her psychology degree and was balancing two jobs, one at the Omelette Shop, a breakfast hotspot, and another at the North Peak Brewing Company, a local pub and brewery. Both of her jobs were within biking distance of the home Paul and Kelly shared, and seeing one or the other of them heading out on a bike was not unusual. The couple had a pair of dogs named Zephyr and Maggie, which Kelly loved to dote on. The newlyweds had big plans and big dreams. Perhaps a move to Puerto Rico was in their future. Either way, they appeared headed toward a happy life together, until a dark night in July of 2013. In 2013, the 4th of July holiday happened to coincide with the National Cherry Festival. This meant that not only was there a parade moving through downtown Traverse City, and an air show over the bay in the early evening hours, and a large fireworks show was planned for the evening. Traverse City was absolutely packed with tourists and natives alike, enjoying the holiday and all of the special events taking place. While the city around her partied and celebrated America's birthday, Kelly was working. She was spending the evening at the North Peak Brewing Company, where she was scheduled to work until after midnight. Meanwhile, Kelly's husband, Paul, was playing with his band in a pub named Kilkenny's. The band played there regularly, usually on Thursdays, and Kelly rarely missed a performance. It was just after midnight that Kelly's shift ended and she went to watch Paul's band finish their set. A little bit after 1 a.m., Paul and his band completed their set and started packing up their equipment. Kelly prepared for her bike ride home, which she would have to make by herself. As Paul later stated, quote, We both ride our bikes every day. I didn't ride my bike that day because I had my musical equipment with me. So Kelly walked out into the night air, which still held the faint aroma of sulfur from the fireworks that had lit up the northern Michigan sky earlier in the evening. And either riding on or walking beside her bike, she began heading towards the home she shared with Paul, a trip that would have taken her no more than five minutes, a trip she'd made dozens of times before. Around 1.56 a.m. on the morning of July 5th, 2013, a terrible sound pierced the quiet of a sleepy Traverse City neighborhood. Some residents on the area's 700 block along Washington Street recall hearing what sounded like a woman screaming. The screams had been precipitated and then followed by a squealing sound, like a car suddenly peeling out. 911 was called by a handful of residents, and officers from the Traverse City Police Department arrived on scene within minutes. The responding officers found that 29-year-old Kelly Boyce Hurlbert had been struck by a vehicle. She was critically injured. The vehicle that struck her had fled the scene, leaving Kelly on the side of the road and dragging her bike about two blocks before it too was abandoned. Kelly had suffered terrible injuries, 
It seemed that she had become entangled with the vehicle and dragged upwards of a city block behind the car itself. Police found her lying unconscious on the road. Kelly was barely clinging to consciousness, but was able to tell police a few things as they waited for an ambulance to respond. Her mother, Michelle Boyce, recalled police telling her what Kelly had told them. Quote, they tried to kill me. They tried to run me over. When police had asked who tried to kill her, Kelly could only tell them that the vehicle was a dark SUV. When pressed further, she said it was black or maybe silver, but she was unable to provide more details in her current state. Kelly provided police the phone number for her husband, Paul, before she began slipping into unconsciousness. When Paul returned home a short time later, he was surprised to find that Kelly had not made it back before him. She left the bar well before he did, and he had expected to find her at home already. It was very unlike her to still be out, and Paul's nerves were on edge. It was then that he received a call from an unknown number. The caller on the other end identified himself as a police officer and asked if he was the husband of a young woman named Kelly. Paul looked outside and he could see flashing lights from an ambulance just down the street. Kelly was rushed to nearby Munson Medical Center where paramedics and doctors struggled to stabilize her condition and keep her alive. Paul was told by doctors that even though Kelly couldn't respond to him, she could hear every word he was saying. Paul found himself at a loss for words. He struggled to find the courage to tell his beautiful young wife that everything would be okay. And a short time later, with Paul by her side, Kelly passed away. Family and friends of Kelly were informed of her death over the next several hours, and the news of her loss sent shockwaves through the community. Loved ones assembled at the home that Kelly and Paul had shared, just down the block from where her mangled body would have been found by police. Present was Paul's father, Joseph Hurlbert, who recounted his thoughts to a local reporter a short time later. Quote, He told me that Kelly had been killed, and that she'd been hit and did not survive the surgery, and it was just gut-wrenching to hear my son have to tell me that. Newspaper reports said that Kelly was riding within 12 inches of the curb in a parking lane on a residential street at 2 o'clock in the morning on her way home. Paul and Kelly both loved Traverse City because they could ride everywhere. They had a car, but they didn't have to use it hardly at all. The person apparently left the driving lane and went over to the parking lane and clipped her and dragged her for a block and a half. Neighbors heard her screaming and came out and found her bike, and eventually they found her. While family and friends struggled to come to terms with the loss of Kelly, law enforcement began to focus in on the overarching question. What happened here? Who was behind the wheel? Had Kelly been the victim of an unfortunate accident, or was there something more malicious at work? Was this a murder? Following Kelly's death, a large-scale investigation was launched by the Traverse City Police Department with cooperation from various agencies. Several detectives were assigned to the case, primarily from the Traverse City Police and the Grand Traverse County Sheriff's Office. They were tasked with discovering whether or not the case could be classified as an accident, indicating manslaughter, or another similar crime, or was this intentional, meaning that murder charges could be filed against the responsible parties? 
Unfortunately for them, the investigation got off to a rough start when it was discovered that there was very little evidence that could be recovered at the scene. Dark tire marks found on the street weren't very distinguishable, at least not to the point where investigators could make out a specific tread or tire. And while it initially appeared that Kelly had been struck while riding her bike, there was very little damage to the bike itself. The bike had only a single scuff mark on the back tire, which indicated that the assaulting vehicle had likely not received much damage. In fact, the only noticeable damage to Kelly's bike was the broken chain, which police theorized could have happened before the crash itself. It was possible that Kelly may have broken the chain earlier in the evening when she was riding to work. That meant she may have been walking home alongside the bike, which would explain the minimal damage it had received before being abandoned on a lawn a distance away from where her body was recovered. Matt Richmond, one of the detectives working the case for Traverse City, told the media, quote, She was with a bicycle. Whether she was riding the bicycle or walking the bicycle is still a question we have. But it was bicycle-related, and we believe it was struck by a vehicle that fled the scene. Investigators began looking through the area to try and find a vehicle that matched the description provided by Kelly herself on the morning she passed away. A dark SUV or pickup truck. In particular, police tried finding a vehicle with damage to the front end, but stressed that this was not essential. After all, Kelly's bicycle had not become entangled with the vehicle, so there was likely very little damage to the truck or the SUV involved in her death. Nonetheless, all the dark SUVs and pickup trucks were suspect for the time being. But police began investigating leads local to the area. Because the road where Kelly had been hit was not a high-traffic area, it was more of a residential neighborhood. It was believed that the driver of the car might have been a resident, or at least someone who was familiar with the neighborhood. Police began collecting surveillance footage from the area of the accident. This included not only local businesses, but any homes that may have had security systems in place. Law enforcement conducted a thorough door-to-door search looking for any footage from the night of the incident. Traverse City investigators told the media that police were intending to collect receipts from downtown bars in an effort to track down people who had been drinking in the area. At this point, it's still unknown whether Kelly's death was due to an accident or reckless driving, and police were not ruling out the possibility that the driver had been impaired and perhaps panicked after the incident. In fact, one of their biggest struggles in the early days of the investigation was trying to differentiate between that likelihood and the more terrifying possibility of this being an intentional act. The news of Kelly's death reached the media that weekend as the festival came to an end. The thousands and thousands of visitors who had been in the area began leaving town, headed south and east, leaving Traverse City and taking with them opportunities for investigators to identify potential leads. Police stated publicly that they were looking for a dark pickup or SUV, which may or may not have been the vehicle responsible for Kelly's death. A couple of witnesses stated that they had seen a dark SUV in the area a short time before the incident along Washington Street at around 1.50 a.m., but these reports were hard to verify without further detail. No witnesses could provide a license plate, description of drivers, just a vague description of the vehicle. 
Likewise, police were unable to discount other reports which indicated that a silver SUV had been spotted by witnesses in the area. Police conducted tests on Washington Street which verified their worst fear, that eyewitnesses would be unable to differentiate between light and dark-colored vehicles in the dimly lit neighborhood. It made no difference between a silver car and a black car, as eyewitnesses could not tell the difference. The Traverse City Police Department reached out to various police agencies for support, including the Grand Traverse Sheriff's Office, the Michigan State Police, and even the FBI. The FBI supplied the investigation with a crime scene reconstructionist who tried to provide a more thorough, detailed description of the scene itself. With the cooperation of these various departments, investigators were able to arrange for a specialized tip line to be created. This was managed by the Michigan State Police in Lansing. The tip line allowed investigators to load the seemingly endless amount of tips into a software program, making it easier to cross-reference the information as it came in. Within the first weeks of the investigation, Police had received over 300 tips, which proved incredibly helpful. However, police cautioned potential witnesses and tipsters to focus less on vehicles with physical damage and more so on character flaws. After all, the damage to the SUV or pickup would likely be minimal, and it was possible there was no visible damage to the car that had killed Kelly. Traverse City Police Captain Mike Ayling said as much to the press in the aftermath of the tragedy, quote, At this point, we're hoping the tip line will be more related to a person saying something. Truthfully, I think the person-related tips are much more prone to be the one we're looking for. We don't even know if there will be damage to the car. If we get one about a person, we look at it much more closely. Detective Sergeant James Bussell expanded on this line of thinking in an interview of his own, quote, The tips we are looking for now are somebody who may have had a significant decline in their quality of life and are feeling remorse or guilt. They may have developed a substance abuse problem or relationship issues. They may have said something to someone close to them that would lead them to believe they may have been involved in this type of incident. While police struggled to ascertain whether or not Kelly's death was an accident or intentional, her loved ones continued to struggle with the loss of their wife, daughter, sister, and friend. To many of these loved ones, they had no doubt Kelly's death was an intentional act. Everything they learned about her final moments, from getting struck from behind to being dragged nearly two blocks, both beneath and behind a vehicle that failed to slow down or stop, This pointed to a malicious, premeditated act. Kelly's sister, Nicole, said, It wasn't like they bumped Kelly and moved on. They went around parked cars and turned the corner dragging her. That's what makes me think it was intentional. If it was just a random accident, why wouldn't they have stopped? Likewise, Mike Moran, a friend of Kelly's husband, He spoke to the press in the immediate aftermath of Kelly's loss, and he expressed outrage on behalf of Kelly's family. Quote, This town is very upset about this. Kelly was dragged a block and a half, screaming. And people are angry because it was a brutal act of violence. It was intentional. Nothing like this has ever happened here. And listeners, Mike has a point. 
This was a violent and brutal act which resulted in the tragic loss of a young woman for no good reason. However, he was wrong about one thing. Something like this had happened before. This just happened to be the first time it resulted in a death. But first, a word from this week's sponsor. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something holding you back from achieving your goals? BetterHelp Online Counseling offers licensed professional counselors, specialists in issues like depression, anxiety, relationships, and more. Connect with your BetterHelp counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential, and using BetterHelp is so convenient. Access the support you need at your own time and pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions with your counselor. Chat and text options are also available. If you aren't happy with your counselor, you can request a new one. Best of all, BetterHelp is affordable. Listeners have already gone. Get 10% off your first month with discount code GONE. Get started today. Visit betterhelp.com gone and complete a questionnaire to be matched with a counselor. Start feeling better now. Visit betterhelp.com gone for 10% off your first month. About a year before Kelly Boyce Hurlburt was fatally injured on Washington Street, a similar incident unfolded just a few blocks away. The date was June 28, 2012 and a 30-year-old woman named Kylie Bunn was riding home on her bright pink bicycle, which was covered in reflectors. Kylie was approximately six months pregnant at the time, and was heading home in the small hours of the night just after 1 a.m. Kylie had been hanging out with some friends on a party boat in Grand Traverse Bay, but she had not consumed any alcohol. After all, she was entering her final trimester, but she still enjoyed getting out and having a good time with friends. She was riding down Union Street, which is a block or two away from Washington Street, the road where Kelly would be hit by a vehicle just a year later. The streets were on opposite sides of the Boardman River, which curves its way through Traverse City. The trip was taking Kylie south, away from the harbor. As she rode, she passed by a number of bars, which were still open but winding down this early on a Thursday morning. One drinker yelled out to her, saying, Nice bike! as she rode past. Eventually, after passing the intersection of Union and 8th Streets, Kylie noticed a car pull out onto Union Street traveling south. The car followed behind her, moving slowly, and Kylie began to feel uncomfortable about the headlights illuminating her path. She thought it might have been a friend that she knew, and maybe they were trying to creep her out or play a trick on her. Kylie turned left onto 9th Street and then turned to look at the vehicle which had been following behind her for about a block. As soon as I turned around, I heard it accelerate and it veered toward me. Kylie had a split second to not only protect her life, but the life of her unborn baby. Quote, I knew I was going to get hit, so I started jumping off my bike and jumped toward the grass. I curled into a ball and rolled onto the grass on my side, protecting my belly. It happened really fast. The truck didn't slow down even when it hit me, and I couldn't see much. I remember the headlights and the chrome grill and thinking, I can't believe this truck is hitting me right now. I remember seeing a tire eight inches from my head. It just kept driving really fast. It sped around the corner onto Cass Street. 
Kylie Bunn would survive the terrifying ordeal, which resulted in a black eye and a badly injured leg. Kylie's leg was broken in multiple places, with the brakes correlating to her bike frame, which slammed together upon impact. Thankfully, though, Kylie's baby was unharmed. Kylie got a brief look at the vehicle, and she later recalled it being a newish, dark SUV or pickup truck, which was black and shiny in appearance. Nearby witnesses confirmed this, saying it was either a dark SUV or a pickup truck, which may have had a topper or camper shell. Following the crash, an article about the incident appeared in a local publication, The Record Eagle. Kylie detailed her ordeal and told investigators that she, and the rest of her social circle, believed this was not an accident. Quote, My friends thought it must have been a drunk driver, but I just knew it wasn't a drunk driver. In my opinion, everything points to someone who has issues. I've played it over in my head a million times, and I can't see any way it was an accident. There were no other cars on the street, and I was easily avoidable. Following the tragic death of Kelly Boyce Hurlbert about a year later, the near miss of Kylie Bunn was brought back into the spotlight. The two hit-and-runs, which occurred less than a mile apart from each other, were linked together not only by their setting, but their timing and witness statements. Both of the victims recalled the responsible vehicle being a dark-colored pickup or SUV, and their accounts were added to by eyewitnesses, which claimed a similar vehicle had been spotted by others in the area around the same time. The 2012 incident also happened within a one-week span of the National Cherry Festival, which brought thousands of visitors and tourists to the area. It's possible there was a connection there, but again, police believe the responsible party was likely local to the area, as they seemed to utilize side streets instead of busier roads. Kylie was asked for comment in the aftermath of Kelly's death. Quote, I can't stop thinking about her. It brought back memories of my night when the truck left the roadway and veered toward me. Beyond the media putting the two cases together, police indicated that they were investigating the two incidents as being linked. The Traverse City Police Department said the working theory is that the 2012 and 2013 events are related. Most surprisingly, though, was the revelation that a third, similar incident happened a few years prior, which police believe could also be connected. The earliest incident, on July 5th, 2010, exactly three years before Kelly's hit-and-run, happened around 2.14 a.m. This time, the victim, a 39-year-old that was riding a bicycle home in the 400 block of State Street, was struck from behind. The vehicle that hit them was similarly described as a black, full-sized pickup. This victim, who chose to remain anonymous, only suffered minor injuries. Following the reporting of these incidents, a couple of Traverse City residents came forward to give their own statements to police, which indicated there could be a serial offender harassing pedestrians and cyclists in the area. One man came forward after Kelly's death, claiming that he had nearly been hit sometime in 2012 while riding his bike to work. He said he was riding along 8th Street, the same neighborhood where Kylie Bunn was hit, when the driver of a dark-colored vehicle, quote, revved his engine behind me and came within inches of hitting me and then sped off. Bill Palladino, another Traverse City resident, said that he had been walking along Washington Street with his family in March of 2012 when a similar vehicle harassed them. Quote, 
The driver clearly saw us and revved their engine as if to announce themselves. They didn't stop at a stop sign as they were turning toward us. They actually hit the curb and sat there and revved the engine. They were probably 20 feet away from us. Unfortunately, none of the witnesses that came forward in the months after Kelly's tragic death could provide more detailed descriptions of the vehicle or driver in question. They had been too shocked in the moment to remember license plate numbers and could only offer vague details about the vehicles which had stalked them in the time period and neighborhoods of the other vehicular assaults. A week after Kelly's death, a memorial was arranged for her at F&M Park, a large public space about a block away from where she'd been struck by a vehicle in the early morning hours of July 5th. Family members and friends organized the event which took place on July 11th, a Thursday. It was meant to celebrate Kelly's life and show support for her family and loved ones. They were still reeling from the loss. More than a thousand Traverse City residents gathered for the memorial and heard many of Kelly's friends speak about her colorful life. This included her friends Katie Stewart and Maggie Smith, who spoke about Kelly and how she had been the glue which brought all of them together. Paul spoke about his wife and couldn't help but mention the story about how he and Kelly had met years before at Union Street Station. Quote, I have grown more in the past five years with Kelly than I did in the previous 23. I miss everything about her every second of my life. She was beautiful inside and out. Paul then led a procession of bike riders through Traverse City, a parade that showed strength and numbers. More than 1,500 people participated in the bike ride, which began in F&M Park and ended a short time later in Hannah Park. Paul later spoke about the bike ride, which he felt was essential for memorializing his wife, whose life was lost much too soon. Quote, I refuse to call it a funeral because it wasn't. It was a celebration of her life. It couldn't have been cooler. It was in true Kelly fashion. Mike Moran, a family friend who helped organize the event, said that the bike ride through Traverse City was incredibly special to those that loved and missed Kelly. Quote, I've never been part of anything like that. It's sad, but I think we did our best to give Kelly her justice. She deserved that for sure. Following the bike ride, as public pressure began to mount on the police, a reward was announced for any information that could lead to an arrest in the tragic hit-and-run death of Kelly Boyce Hurlbert. The amount, which started out at $20,000, had been announced almost immediately after Kelly's death, raised by family and friends. Following the public memorial, that amount had raised to $50,000, and Kelly's loved ones were hoping that it would help bring the responsible parties to justice. In the final weeks of July 2013, a photo began spreading through Traverse City social media pages, primarily in a couple of Facebook groups. The photo was shared more than 500 times. The image, which showed a black Chevy Tahoe, was allegedly a photo of the vehicle that had killed Kelly. However, Traverse City police had to make a public statement on their own social media pages, which urged readers not to harass the owner of the vehicle. Quote, we as a community obviously want nothing more than the person or persons involved in Kelly's tragic death identified. In the last day or so, there has been a picture of a black SUV circulating, along with accusations and threats being made against the driver. The statement went on to say, this is not the suspect vehicle. 
this vehicle and its driver were not involved. Traverse City Police announced that they had zeroed in on a particular person of interest based on a tip sent in to them. This person of interest was a man who split his time between Traverse City and Ossineke, Michigan, a town in Alpena County, which is roughly two and a half hours east of Traverse, located much closer to Lake Huron. We've been to Ossineke before, with a June 2012 disappearance of Lisa Knight, which we covered back in episode 92. Police verified that this person of interest was in Traverse City on the morning of July 5th, the day in which Kelly was hit by an unknown vehicle. They also stated to the media that this person of interest happened to drive five vehicles, all of which were being searched as part of their investigation. Detectives began interviewing people known to this person of interest in an effort to verify his alibi. However, they cautioned the public not to jump to any conclusions about this lead, as it could result in a dead end. Traverse City Police stated, quote, We've received probably five tips since the beginning that we've spent hundreds of hours on. This is one of five. We so far don't have anything really pointing to this person, but we don't have anything so far that says he didn't do it either. The investigation into this Alpena County person of interest seems to have stalled, as police have made no further updates. Kelly's unsolved death remains one of the area's most publicized cases, with over 33 detectives contributing to the investigation. Most of those detectives were local, either to Traverse City or Grand Traverse County, but it also included members of the Michigan State Police and the FBI. In the last six years, similar hit-and-runs throughout Traverse City, and even through Michigan, have sparked discussions of a serial offender. Separate incidents in 2016, 2017, and 2018 have brought Kelly's name back into the forefront of Traverse City's discussions. However, in each of these incidents, a suspect was identified or apprehended, and none seemed to match up with the dark SUV or pickup truck spotted the night Kelly was killed. Police throughout Traverse City and Grand Traverse County continue to hold out hope that they can bring resolution to Kelly's case and provide answers for her family and friends. The amount of tips received by police during their five-plus-year investigation now exceeds 800. Despite that large amount, police insist that all but 60 or so of the tips have been closed. In 2018, on the case's five-year anniversary, Captain Bussell told the media, quote, We don't know what type of vehicle it was, if it was an SUV, truck, van, or passenger car, we certainly don't know the identity of the driver at this time, if they were male or female. In addition to this lack of new information, local prosecutors are worried that the six-year anniversary of Kelly's death in July of 2019 will bring with it an unfortunate end of some statutes of limitation. This anniversary will mark the deadline for prosecutors to file lesser charges based on Michigan state law. These would be charges unrelated to murder, of course, but prosecutors remain worried that this will exhaust their options in the future should a culprit be identified. Bob Cooney, the prosecutor for Grand Traverse County, he remains hopeful that the investigation is on the right track. In fact, in 2018, Cooney led an effort to file subpoenas related to the case based on tips received in the past. He stated that this allowed investigators to re-examine certain aspects of the case that they had looked at and interview several persons of interest under oath. This way, even if the statute of limitations passes, 
prosecutors would be able to file perjury charges should it turned out that anyone lied about their involvement under oath. Cooney said that his office, in cooperation with the local police and sheriff, remained committed to the case. Quote, We've had a lot of highs and lows in this case. We have what seemed to be very good information, where we thought we had a break in the case, and then it later turns out that it doesn't pan out. I do remain hopeful, even five years later, that at some point, we are going to know what happened here and bring some closure and justice to Kelly's family and the community. A ghost bike was erected at the spot where Kelly Boyce Hurlbert was killed by a vehicle over five years ago in an alley off Railroad Street. This ghost bike is an all-white bicycle memorial, which is within sight of the home that Paul once shared with his beautiful wife. The bike stands as a memorial to the loving, caring person it represents. It is underscored by the dark tire mark along the road, which highlights the route the driver had taken when he or she struck Kelly all those years ago. When Paul was asked about the memorial, he tried to remain positive but struggled to do so. Quote, the memorial is positive energy. People are showing support and love, but that tire mark has hate written all over it. Every 4th of July, the loved ones of Kelly Boyce Hurlbert are asked for a comment. The holiday remains permanently darkened by this ominous anniversary, but they continue to speak out. They remain committed to finding out what happened to their 29-year-old wife, daughter, sister, and friend. Just last year, in July of 2018, the FBI announced that they are continuing to assist in the investigation. As part of their effort, they announced a $25,000 reward for information leading to an arrest, which added to the already existing $50,000 reward. This announcement was made on the five-year anniversary of Kelly's death and came at a press conference. Traverse City Police and officials from the Grand Traverse Sheriff's Department insist that the case remains open and active. If you have information on the death of Kelly Boyce Hurlbert, please call the Grand Traverse County Central Dispatch non-emergency line at 231-922-4550 or the Traverse City Police Detective Bureau at 231-995-5002. If you wish to send in your tip via email, head to the FBI tip page, which can be found at tips.fbi.gov. That's tips.fbi.gov. A $75,000 reward exists for information that proves beneficial for investigators. The 2013 death of Kelly Boyce Hurlbert remains open and unresolved. Listeners, be sure to check out this month's sponsor, BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com gone and use code gone for 10% off your first month. And listeners, you can find Already Gone on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Nina Instead, and I'm usually the writer, producer, and voice behind Already Gone, but this week, I'm just the voice. Writing credit to Michael Whelan, and this episode is a Spective production. I appreciate you listening, and please, be safe. <laughs>